Hey everyone, welcome to Neighborhood Watch. I'm your host, Michael Giannis, and today, today we're joined by Russ again. Uh, Russ, how you doing? Hi. Ready for another episode? Got your, you got your uh, bullet points all ready to go? I, I do indeed. I took notes, as always. Great. Alright, so let's jump right into it. Um, this was ep- This was episode 1186. Um, there seems to be a large gap. I, I, don't, I don't know why this much of a gap was left on this collection, but, you know, um, this episode is called Naming Barkley, uh, which, which, it's a, it's an odd name because I think that was probably the weakest skit in this whole hour, uh, but we'll get really? to that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, the first skit opens with the count uh we don't know if this is the first appearance of the count but it is the first for us uh, i love the count yes solid character yeah um he he wants us to count the number of times that we say hello to new characters appearing on screen um and we get to see like it's been a thousand episodes since our last peek into sesame street some people have changed they have they've gotten older mm-hmm. closer to death Gordon lost his hair. That's the main thing. Gordon's bald now. No more mutton chops. There's uh, a different opening too. The the this decade definitely leaked into the that footage they have in the opening. There was a there was at one point there was a shirtless like teenager on a penny board on a boardwalk. Yeah, it was very this was the most of its time episode yet, for sure. For sure. So the count counts as hellos, uh, and then we move on to um, some sort of like sign language little animation bit. Uh, we, we thought it was interesting. We thought it was heading down like a, a sign language theme because um, one, of the, one of the people that we said hello to with the count uh, was, was using sign language. Yeah, well, I, we'll save the theme for later, like a larger discussion of it as... The discussion will naturally drift towards that as we move through the bits. And you don't, you don't want to come out swinging as you normally do? That's kind of your thing. I, I, what do you mean? You don't think, like, I don't know, the Count is, like, initiating his fascist rule by getting everyone in line saying hello or some garbage <laughs> like that? <laughs> fascist? What? It's, it's a children's show. So it, it starts out with the Count saying hello to everybody and i think that that's a he's counting how many hellos because we all have our own hello to give yeah you're right it is is a very pleasant way of opening the show i agree and and because the way the way a deaf person might say hello it's it's no it's no worse than how a hearing person might say hello um i i agree um, so after the sign language portion, we had the Disco D song. This was great. This was the first indication that we had entered a new era of Sesame Street. Yeah, that was, I thought, like when I first, when it first came on, I was thinking like, oh, this show got really good. This is like a, this is like a really good bit. But then as the show progressed, it was just like consistently good. And I was, I was like, wow, okay. It wasn't just that song. Yeah, a lot of the stuff, because a lot of the older episodes, they had, most of the songs were either hit or miss, you know, there was like the, 
the guitar, the eating song, and there was Solomon Grundy. Those were kind of, you know, on the low side. But they were really, as far as songs go in this episode, they were all, like, really, really good, well-produced, well-performed. Definitely. There were there was very... Like, it, it could have been a legitimate song. Like, I could see this, hear this... I can imagine this being played on the radio if I were to be in the 1970s. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the pacing of these episodes is a lot better as well. Because the next... Uh, the next stuff after that, because Disco D is a bit of a long one. Like, it's a full-length, mm-hmm. like, two-minute or so song. And then after that is two two quick things, which is... Um, well, the sponsor of this episode is D. Yeah. Which it makes more apparent than previous episodes. Like, before, they kind of kept you guessing, like, okay, who's the sponsor here? But then it, it, made, it made it clear, like, okay, D and two. Yeah, they've, they've consolidated one letter, one number. It's very consistent. Uh, it's very strong. Well, I like the next bit. It was he was using a D as a shovel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to dig because dig starts with D, and then as as he digs, which again begins with the letter B, he he digs D again and finds a dinosaur, which, as would be suggested by the sponsor, starts with D. That's hard to argue with. You're right. Yeah. Uh, after that. Um, we had a little piano demonstration of low notes and high notes. Uh, that was that was kind of the conceptual sponsor of the episode was low and high or up and down. Yeah, and also and also of because what is a piano? That's not rhetorical. Is is um, eighty eight keys? Is that right? That that's true. It's 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 eighty eight keys that coalesce into one. Here we go. Here, for what? You're gonna go off on some political. There's like some like hidden meaning, some rogue writer. No, it's not. That's not. It's not anything like this. <laughs> Michael, what are you? Come, come on now. This is just in. It, it's an instrument. It's a piano. It's just a children's show. I don't know what you're trying to. You, you're digging to use the D word here. <laughs> well, inside joke. You're, you're really digging deep there. I don't. I don't I don't, I don't know what kind of goof you're going for, but like it's not it's not panning out. So he, he's he's introducing this piano to children. It's this instrument for creativity and it's for creating. And in the previous bit before, it was all sorts of children and adults alike that were creating things. They were painting, they were constructing. There was a kid in a sandbox. I thought that was neat. So I think that's definitely like the theme again with saying hello it's it's introducing yourself you're breaking out into this world maybe maybe you say hello by speaking the word hello maybe you say hello by signing it maybe you say hello by by making a painting that's that's your uh you know sort of figurative hello this debut into the world of this this is who i am this is me me yeah another theme of the episode definitely huh all right uh, so after that, uh, we had the loud and soft, the little uh, performance uh, by the woman on the steps with the kids. Yeah, that was a good. That was a good song. She was a great singer. She's an incredible it. singer. That was that was like it was she. I don't I don't know if you if you looked this up at all, but was she like a professional singer? Was this someone they brought on like a celebrity, or was she just like some intern that happened to be an amazing singer? I think she's a Sesame Street regular. I think I've seen her before. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. tell because it's you know it's been like a thousand episodes. Everyone's changed a little bit in their hairstyles and that sort of thing. Lack thereof. Right. 
so so she sort of teaches them uh, it's very kind of like this she kind of shares her african american the, the, her heritage and her culture with the children here that's very like call and response they're clapping large dynamic range it's very like kind of gospel musicy and it's it's very it, it's good i like it and and again it's it's on this theme of teaching them how to express themselves and yeah. then it's giving them another tool in their toolbox for how to express themselves of this of this you know you can be loud or you can be quiet and the contrast between them adds something to it yeah, definitely. I think Sesame Street is definitely at its best. It's kind of got like a couple uh, modes of interaction that it's at its best. It's it's this the the on the stat like this genuine just enthusiasm and and uh, pleasantness that I think it, it's really good at. Uh, after that, we had a, a little animation uh, cheering with dogs and cats, spelling out dog with D again. It was it was very uh it was pleasant. Mm-hmm. And then another quick. There was a lot of like little quick, like t- ten sec, ten fifteen second at most. Um, yeah, it was it was great because they put a lot of because they were able to focus a lot more into these ten seconds instead of drawing it out. And it was just they're they're delightful. And yeah. it really hit the theme home stronger. I, th- I think they've definitely figured out the the formula for Sesame Street at this point. Yeah, very very much unlike those first couple episodes where it felt like there was a lot of filler. You know, no yeah. repeats in here. Uh, very thematically consistent as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that little bit was just a little kid named Jason and Cookie Monster um, just just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And then we had an animation of Small B and Small D, which is a kid and his dog. Mm-hmm. I think that was important because I don't I don't know about you, but as a small child and around like kindergarten, I used to get those confused. Because they're back, they're kind of like mirrors yeah, of each other. It, w- yeah. it wasn't until age six that I realized, like, oh, the lowercase b is like half of an uppercase b, capital B, if you will. That's a good way of thinking of it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then uh, one of my favorites of the episode, Ernie and Bert. I don't know why I say Ernie and Bert. Bert and Ernie is like, <laughs> that's what they, that's what they're called. Bert, but every time I write it down, I write Ernie and Bert. I, I think Ernie gets enough shit. He deserves to be first once in a while. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I'm gonna call him Ernie and Bert from now on. Uh, so Ernie and Bert, they're they're asleep, um, in bed, and uh, Ernie wakes up, and he wants to know what time it is. So he asks Bert, but Bert 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 doesn't like that because he's asleep, and it's dark. Um, yeah, I. I... It's definitely not pleasant to be woken up like that, but you know, if, I mean, I mean, what what is what exactly is the relationship between these two puppets? Well, you know, that, that's interesting because we we had we were we were struggling to tell if they were sleeping in the same bed or not. The angle definitely made it look like it was the same bed. Right. It kind of gave them this like plausible deniability of, oh no, if you look here, like maybe they're not. But like, I think that you're meant to think that they are. Yeah. It, so, so they're they're definitely close in some way. I don't know if they're just friends. I don't know if if Bert is Ernie's like nurse, or if. Oh, so you come around to my way of thinking. You know, I, I'm not. I'm undecided at this point. But I, I all, all I can say with certainty is that they're close, and 
at this level of closeness, regardless of the type of relationship, at this level of closeness where they're sleeping in the same room together, I think that Bert should be more understanding with Ernie. I mean, it's understandable. You you wake up. I mean, you're in a deep sleep. I mean, a nice dream with Seth Rogen or what have you, and you're just it, mm. it. It's relaxing and peaceful, and then you get woken up, and like that first reaction is kind of to be like, oh, like what the fuck are you doing? But then, like you, after that, you sort of like step back, like oh, okay, it's, it's, it's like Ernie. Like you, you wake up and move out of that primitive mindset. But Bert never did. He just he he never had the patience with Ernie. And I, and I think that that's that's unhealthy. I think that they're close, but it's unhealthy. Maybe they shouldn't be so close. They, I think that they jumped into that that physical level of closeness before they developed and and built along and walked along. Like there should be a sort of staircase that you walk along that leads up to it, and you, and you and you get to that point of of Bert and Ernie sleeping with each other. But until they've reached that point, I think that maybe Bert should look into getting his own apartment. Wow, you you think that that's that's quite something because like we're at the start of the show, they have their own apartment. Like that's their relationship. Yeah, but I it's it moved too fast. Okay. I suppose I agree. Um, but I think, I mean, they make it work. I think that's the important thing. Like, Ernie, Ernie's the, Ernie's the perfect partner for Bert, I think. You, th- you think so? Yeah, I think anyone else, if they were paired up with Bert, wouldn't, would not have made it 1,186 episodes. But, but you've got that special something in Ernie that says, you know, well, I'm not, like, that he understands that Bert's that way. He understands that, you know, he's not going to turn on the light to wake up Bert. He's going to find his own solution. And I think that it's the, it's the struggle of, like, maybe this isn't the most healthy relationship, but it's a functioning one, and it's one that they're both, they both need and agree to, and it defines them both as individuals. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that they're two pieces of bread – and what they those two pieces of bread need is some peanut butter, some jelly, something to hold them together. But instead, they're they're putting glue on there, and it'll keep the pieces of bread together, but it won't be very savory. And that glue that's holding them together is Stockholm syndrome, and it's it's not healthy. Well, I I disagree. I think they're both healthy. Um, I think they're as healthy as they want to be. I think if you go too far um, criticizing what could be. I think you kind of lose sight of what they have, and I think that's not something to take for granted. Uh, uh, but is it worth it? I think that there are plenty of other puppets that can make both of them happier. Um, Ernie solves the situation by um, yelling and singing and screaming out his window to wake up his neighbors, and they kind of—it's kind of funny because the. the 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 neighbors are giving like the standard hey what are you doing pipe down and Ernie's planning something we do I couldn't even put this together but it takes about thirty seconds which I think is the key to what makes this so funny it takes about thirty seconds until some neighbor guy yells out it's three a.m. what are you doing pipe down like, like I saw I saw what Ernie was doing but I, I was expecting it to be like right away like hey it's three a.m. So, so. But no, they they drew it out and it kept me guessing like, oh maybe maybe it's not, and, and it was, but it still it, it definitely caught me off guard. Built yeah. a suspense. Timing, it's all about timing. That's what yeah. they say. 
uh, after that, um, there's still, there's still, this is still the Sesame Street we know and love. Um, there were still some clips of animals in zoos and in the wild. Uh, this time it was flamingos, and and also some ducks. But the flamingos were the were the the, the main event because they were kind of like all moving in unison. Now I've never seen flamingos in real life. I don't think I've ever been to a zoo where flamingos were. Do they? Is that like a natural thing? Because the way they were moving was like really, really synchronized to a concerning degree, like they were trained or something. Well, it's actually quite easy to get flamingos to move all in unison if you just play a, like a catchy tune near them. They'll, oh, really? They'll kind of start moving. M- music is such a natural instinct. It's, it's really it's instinctual. Yeah, you know those legs. I bet I bet they're pretty good on the dance floor. Definitely, they they, they very much they're 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 flamingos. And while this is this is like the fill, fillerist filleriest. Sure. This is the most fillery bit of the of the whole episode. But it, it, it's less than in episodes we've watched previously and it's and it's still it, it's it's better. The quality is better. Before it was just like obviously just stock footage they got. This looks like I wouldn't be surprised if they actually went out and sought out these birds and recorded this for themselves. And like it seemed it seemed more purposeful. Yeah. And the pace, it's important to, again, I point out the pacing of it. You know, it comes after an Ert and Bernie, like, comedy bit, and it's it's before, like, more educational stuff. It's it's a nice sort of um, uh, valley in the sort of peaks and valleys of energy in this. Did you, did you say Ert and Bernie? Did I say Ert and Bernie? I think he said Ert and Bernie. Oh, shit. <laughs> what the fuck are their names? <laughs> All right. Uh, after that, we go back to Up and Down with John John. This John was John, great. Yeah. John John is a star. He was good, good actor. <laughs> uh, his... He should get it on spinoff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jim Henson's John John. <laughs> friends. Uh, he gives a great demonstration of up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. That's all it is, but he sells it, baby. He he does. He was enthusiastic. You could really, you could feel like the other kids. It just seemed like they were just feeding them lines. But this kid, he he was really, he, he was he was feeling the he was feeling up and down. You could you could every time he said up and every time he said down, it just he didn't even need to tell you the definition. He didn't need to point up or point down. You could just in his tone of voice, he's, he's definitely. It's astounding. It's great. I was left speechless. Uh, after that, we had the um, burp re- rearrangement um, little skit. This one was a little confusing because it doesn't, it didn't really have anything to do with the themes. Um, yeah, it was, it was still. You know, I think that at this point, this is when. The, you have to keep in mind this show was aiming for all sorts of age groups. There were there were kids watching Sesame Street like age age like two to age what would you say? What was the upper range of that? I'd probably say six years old is probably six the Six years old? Cap, yeah. Okay, so like a two year old and a six year old know very different things. Six year old's already been through two years of schooling, right? Yeah. And God knows what else. And so throughout this Throughout this, this is sort of like a, a good example because the preceding bit it was just it was just sh- footage of birds, 
and and now it's getting into some higher level thinking things. You know, you, you have to. So really, you have to put your mind in that advanced intellectual age of a six-year-old and really think like, okay, what what are they going for here? And again, it's about finding your own individuality, because all the world is, all these atoms, everything here that we see around us are just—it's the equivalent of the twenty-six letters of the alphabet. There are infinite arrangements of that. You can have them in all sorts of orders, all sorts of sized words. And what he's finding here is finding his arrangement. And he does get he he gets he gets chastised for it. But, he does, but which, does that stop him? He, they could have ended it with 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 him rearranging it to burp, and they were all like, "Oh, that's gross. Where are your manners?" And then he's like, "Oh, okay, sorry," and he rearranges it to a different word. But no, he he stuck with it. And that's what's important. That's that's what's supposed to be. That's the, that's a lesson for everyone, ages two to a hundred. Two hundred. Two, sorry, I apologize. Um, after that, uh, we go to a, a Muppet, Harry. He's brushing his fur. He needs some help uh, brushing the back of his the back of his fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he gets so he gets Marie to help him that out. That was Maria. Maria, oh, sorry. Is it Marie? It, um, I'm gonna go with Maria. I'll go with Mar because we don't know what comes after that. I'm not sure. Okay, Mar. Um, Gets some help from Mar brushing the back of his hair, and then he offers to swap. He's like, and, and the thing, the, the important thing to understand this scene is that this Muppet is probably the scariest Muppet uh, in the whole crew. He's got this like deep, gravelly voice, um, mm-hmm. and he's just he's like all shaggy looking. And then even with like the brushed hair, it kind of looks even worse because he's got this like gross, like slicked back Muppet f- blue fur. Yeah, but despite that, she still treats him no differently than the other puppets. Right. Muppets. Um, yeah. But he, <laughs> Harry um, kind of... He learns the joy of brushing people's hair, I guess. Because he, he immediately needs to find someone else whose hair to brush. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there's one person on... There's, <laughs> the, the speed at which... The next person comes out on set is is probably the funniest thing about this skit because as soon as Maria's off set and Harry's like I gotta brush someone else's hair, Gordon's here, <laughs> shiny bald headed Gordon. Uh, it's a good look for him. I do miss the mutton chops, however. Yeah, but was... you know that's this is his way of finding his individuality. This is how he feels. This is what he feels is his best manifestation. But Harry can't brush his hair. That's funny because he's bald. Uh, after that, we had an animation with a witch and a girl who identifies herself as me. Mm-hmm. And this witch is casting a bunch of spells on this girl to turn her into different, different objects like a spoon, a flower, and it just keeps going rapid, rapid fire transformations. But this girl refuses to abide by the witch's rules. Mm-hmm. Now, who do you think the witch is representing here? Um, I think you could probably make authority figures uh, trying to imprint themselves upon this little girl. But she's not even trying to imprint herself. She didn't turn her into another witch. She turned her into various objects. Sure, maybe that was the wrong the wrong verbiage. Turn her into what what she doesn't want to be. Yeah, what the witch feels is her best form. 
but that doesn't always equ- equivalent to to me in her words. And it doesn't take away from her meanness either. It, it, it doesn't. I'll, I'll, no matter what she turns her into, she's still me. Her. She'll never not be me. She says that. That That's... It's moving. And the witch learns this lesson because after the the girl leaves uh, in her normal form, uh, the witch pulls out a mirror and she's like, I'm me. And it's nice. But the mirror breaks because she's ugly. She's an ugly woman. Yeah, but this is the important thing. The mirror breaks and then she smiles. (laughs) It's like with the the burp thing. It's like it's like he was being chastised, but he stuck with it. The mirror broke, and maybe she's not the physically best according to the mirror standards. See, at this point, this is when the witch becomes the girl, takes the girl's place, and the mirror takes the witch's place because the, now the mirror is saying, "No, you're not good enough. You're this," and she says, "No, I'm still me, and I'm happy with that." You know, I like that interpretation a lot of the the mirror kind of breaking at the end and the witch smiling. I think that's a good. I think there's a lot to dig into there. I like it. Thank you. Um, after that, the picnic scene with the dog. Well, uh, also, I, I think you're skipping not necessarily important, but it was it was it was good placement here. After that, after that witch sketch, there was a woman singing me, like the the solfege. Oh right, I could have I could have easily skipped over that. It was five seconds long. Yeah, it was. It was a little random, but it, like. It didn't even take up like a significant amount of space. So it wasn't going for filler, so it was definitely purposeful in its placement there. But you know, worth mentioning for sure. Definitely. Then the picnic scene. Uh, two gentlemen have spread out a gorgeous picnic. They've got a blanket. They've got sandwiches. Uh, it's right by a lake. It's a beautiful day. Uh, it's a very romantic scene. Yeah, I was gonna mention. Uh, you know. Uh, Probably a, a less inspired director would have would have cast a man and a woman. I'm glad. Even in 1978, they can say, like, no, homosexuals have the right to picnics just as much as we do. Uh, they decide... Now, I think they make a, a mistake here. I, I, I'm not very sympathetic to what happens to them, specifically at this picnic. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they spread out their sandwiches on plates... And then they decide that they're going to go take a little rowboat out in the middle of the lake. Mm -hmm. Now, even if nothing had gone wrong, like, I don't... That's not... Why would you do that? Like, you're going to get bugs all up in your food. You're going to... It's going to get cold or it's not going to be cold enough or... The temperature will not be ideal. Right. The sandwich temperature is a very key aspect that a lot of people neglect. Um, I'm not even goofing here. You need to if you if if you don't have the cold. See now, McDonald's when they did their their old like the the cold side cold, the hot side yeah. hot. That yeah. was that was important. They need to bring that back because when it it's the worst. It it seriously bugs me when when like you get this gross like sloppy piece of lettuce that's not crisp. Like that a lot of people neglect the lettuce crispness because that's what that's what lettuce really brings. To a burger, it's not. It's not about flavor. It's about having something to crunch into, and kind of kind of counteract all your other ingredients. But but they just leave it on there, and it's sloppy and it's gross. Come on, McDonald's, bring it back. But d- didn't they like fuck that up? Yeah, I don't think it was good. 
I never had it. I've only read about it in history books. Yeah, I thought I thought the didn't they put the cheese on the cold side? Yeah, that would be a mistake. I guess some people would like cold cheese. I'm more of a melted cheese guy. I mean, who isn't a melted cheese guy? Come on, it's yeah. delightful. Um, they they row out to the middle of the lake, and they leave their sandwiches on their blanket, and immediately a dog runs over and starts eating their sandwiches, which good for the dog. I mean, you know, teach him a lesson. The dog's the hero in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they kind of panic. This is sort of a modern take on the Buddy and Jim situation because their attempts at rowing back to shore are are childish and failures. They figure it out. Sure, but and that's the important thing here is because these two men can figure out how to row a boat and can can collaborate like that and work together in a way that's just as productive, that's just as the it's it's, it's just as fruitful as maybe if a man and woman were doing it. They do get their sandwich at the end. There is a sandwich left, and they kind of... It's a happy ending for them, not for the dog. Well, I guess the dog got what he wanted. It's kind of shoot away, though, which I didn't appreciate. I was hoping for a nice, clean ending where everyone's happy. Like, they kind of, like, pet the dog and, like, play fetch or something. I feel like that was a missed opportunity. Well, because the dog is the bad guy. Because this it's definitely allegorical of the struggle for gay rights in America. Sure. But the dog's, dog's doing what a dog's going to do. He's eating a sandwich. Uh, the, there was a lot of... The next scene was um, a bunch of kids um, playing and then kind of showing their adult counterpart in an occupation. So, you know, you'd see a kid playing with blocks and then an adult would be like a construction worker or or, or that sort of thing. Um, we lo- we learned... Was before. Was it? I have it next after Picnic. Because because I have it next after picture because I wrote down. Is there another one before? There might have been. The reason I I because my note for this segment is D is for druggist. Yeah, I have that written too. <laughs> was that in a different scene? Maybe that was. No, that that was in this scene. Oh okay. But there was one before I wrote weird making montage, and I thought that that was like a painter. Okay. Yeah. So that, that must have been a different one. Regardless... They had, they had two similarly themed montages. Yeah. Which I, I guess I guess is fine. This D- one was more D-focused. Yeah. D is for druggist. Uh, not much to commentate about on uh, there. I, the, there's at one point... There's a, there's, it's talking about like professions you can be when you grow up. <laughs> and one of them is daddy. Right. And I think that's very important. It's very, it's very progressive that it's okay to be a stay-at-home dad because why, why shouldn't your profession be taking care of your own children? That's not just a woman's job. That's a human's job. Um, after that, we have a bit of a problem-solving scene uh, with a bunch of kids. They're playing jacks. Mm-hmm. Um, they they drop a jack into like this little like pit or something that's fenced off that they can't reach in. Um, so their solution, uh, in a very coincidental fashion, a girl says, look what I have, and then pulls out, like, the most cartoonish red and white magnet. I've always wanted a cliche magnet. <laughs> there, no reason for this girl to like, have it. It has, like, a horseshoe shape. Because yeah. she's a kid, they always carry stuff like that around in their pocket. Do they? I remember, I don't know... Where it was, I think it might have been an episode of Brady Bunch or something, but there was like, 
there's like a gag where there's like this little kid and he just kept pulling all these things out of his pocket. Like he had like all these like toys and he had like, he had one of those like paddle ball things. He just kept going. I guess that like, is kind of a kid thing to carry around little doodads. Anything. Yeah, you're a kid, you're like, oh, I'm going to be an adult, I'm going to carry around everything in my pockets. Yeah, you don't have, like, money and keys, so you carry, you know... Just... Like magnets. <laughs> magnets, yeah. <laughs> Polarized magnets. Uh, so so they, they, they tie a string around the magnet with the help of their older sister, and they get the jack back. Hey. Uh, she, they did use the older sister because while they may have had that that cognitive side down, they may, they may have been like, okay, I know I know what to do. I know that I need a magnet to tie it to a string for this. They still don't have the mechanical side down, but it's still, again, it's that thing about finding your individuality. You can still succeed despite any arbitrary arbitrary uh, f- physical limitations. You can still, all you need is that side of of saying, oh, what I need is a magnet tied to a string. Tied to a string, and others should be there to help you out with that and to help you succeed in whatever you choose to tie your magnet to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after that, we had a quick little animation of um, it was it was a very sort of minimalist looking animation where it was a black and white, uh, just a sketch of a guy sitting on a on a step, and a bunch of junk falls in him when he says the word down. Um, <laughs> I guess this, this is really just to illustrate up and down because he kind of walks over and he says down again, some stuff falls on him, and he kind of climbs some stairs, and then the stuff falls up on him in a weird that, that was That was a good, that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, nice and quick. Nice and fun. Um, then we had the the first appearance, to our knowledge, of Snuffleupagus. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I'm tempted to believe that this is among the first appearances of him as well because the most of the residents of Sesame Street do not uh, believe in the existence of Snuffleupagus. Yeah. He's kind of a legend, we're, yeah. we're meant to believe. Um, one, of, one of the people uh, overhears uh, Big Bird's house and he's talking to Snuffleupagus. He can't see him inside, but he hears him. Loud and clear, having a conversation. So he goes and rounds up all the residents of Sesame Street, all the all the humans. Um, you know, you got Gordon and Mr. Hooper and all your favorites. Uh, gathers them up, and by this point, you can see where the scene's going because it's, it's 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 a story told a thousand times. Um, he, he he's hey everyone, look, Snuffleupagus, I I he's here, he's here, come look. Everyone's excited. They're like, oh yeah, sure, sure he is, buddy. So he leads them all over to Big Bird's house. Nest. Nest. I like how they use the word nest. <laughs> it's not a nest at all. It's just a room with like a bunch of junk in it. But again, it's that sort of this is how I like to manifest myself. I don't. I don't live in a house. I live in a nest. I'm a sure, bird. Sure, sure, sure. Um, no one's there because Big Bird and Snuffleupagus decided to go to the Shirley Temple Festival. Yeah, that was. Uh... That was a weird, another intrusion of reality on Sesame Street's world, because they make a direct reference to Heidi. It's also, really weird. Also, at the beginning of the episode, when they were saying hello, the man talking to the deaf woman asked if she's seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was... I, th- I think, like, Shirley Temple, at least, is in the same genre as Sesame Street, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the Shirley Temple reference for whatever reason. Just the idea of Big Bird going to see a movie. They were like, <laughs> they were trying to figure out how to spend like their afternoon. 
He's like, do you want to go see this movie? No, I've seen it five times. Let's go watch TV. <laughs> That's something that the puppets on Sesame Street do. <laughs> they hang out and watch TV. Um, but yeah, no one gets to see Snuffleupagus. We do for, for like a couple seconds. So we know that he's real. It's not just mm-hmm. in his imagination. But they managed to avoid avoid it to, to that one man's embarrassment. Yeah. The new Gordon. Yeah, new Gordon. This, this That was, you know, because we're getting into it, yeah. Um, after that was uh, Grover. This is the first scene with Grover. Mm-hmm. He's going to show us the majesty of the number two. So he's going to gather up all his friends. He's collecting a bunch of these Muppets. Kermit comes. Kermit's great. Kermit continues to be awesome. Um, yeah. He's going to... And he leads them all in a rousing chant of counting to two, uh, which upsets Grover because he doesn't like that, like, it's just one, two. Yeah, he definitely chose the wrong number. Yeah, he did not put two and two together in this case. Eh. Good one. Yeah. Um, so he decides he's going he's gonna to do it again. He's going to try this skit again, which, which seems to be a common thing with the Muppet scenes. You know, we had that one a couple episodes before where Kermit kind of uh, did a scene a couple times because it didn't go well. Um, that shows up again here, and it's very funny. But uh, to interrupt it the first time, we had a um, blow your nose skit. Mm-hmm. That was that was interesting. I think I think it's important though because like it's one of those things like in cartoons for children and whatnot they. They, they sort of exaggerate things because it's a cartoon and they portray things that are unrealistic. But some of the things are important things like blowing your nose or eating vegetables. And this is when Sesame Street comes in and they're like, no, guys, this is how you actually do it. And they have to give a tutorial on blowing your nose. Yeah, it's very it's, – it's a how-to right in the middle, which is – I mean, it's fine. I don't think it's a very effective tutorial because, like, translating what an animation does to blowing an actual nose – I, I don't think a kid would be able to, like, translate it. But maybe they're better at that stuff. Maybe they're so accustomed to mimicking animation and cartoons. For a child, all love life is just a cartoon. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Um, so we're, we're back to Grover after that. Um, this time he's going he's gonna to ask his friends why their favorite number is two. Uh, so he brings out Kermit and, and sets him up perfectly. Uh, this is where we learn that Kermit is not a good improviser. Because Kermit sets or uh, Grover sets him up perfectly. Kermit, why is two your favorite number? And Kermit shoots him down, just destroys the entire setup. Well, two's not my favorite number. And he he he, he doesn't even like good numbers. He likes nine and thirteen. I think nine's pretty solid, but thirteen, come on. I don't like either of them. Like you've got an infinite amount of numbers, and you pick nine and thirteen. Those are the among okay. the worst numbers. Okay, let's look at nine. Nine here, it's in the top ten. That's important. It's it, it's three cubed is nine. I think that's pretty neat. Sure, it's got a sort of geometric quality to it. Or squared, not cubed. Yeah, but I just but think when you? when you, when you're when you've got so many choices, when you can go up into the double and triple digits, you know, you're not asking for your favorite digit. Nine is a poor choice. I, I don't think there's any. I think if you ask a hundred people what their favorite number is, you're not going to get a single nine. But that that goes poorly because he asks a bunch of people why, 
their favorite numbers too. It's none of their favorite numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a neat little little segment here because we learned that Count's favorite number used to be 34,969, but his current favorite number is 11,827,000-something. Grover cuts him off, but you know we got a good start there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Count likes high numbers. Because he's an expert on this. Yeah, he, he is. Choosing he's, choosing nine or something lower than, like, 10,000 as your favorite number is, like, choosing moving pictures as your favorite Rush album. Who would do such a thing? Um, after that, we have a demonstration of how a faucet works, which I think it's interesting that both both of these skits are, like, very instructional very straightforward, straight-faced. This was different, because this isn't even applicable to something a child does, like, regularly. This is just just learning for the sake of it. And it makes take something as boring as, like, indoor plumbing yeah. and, and makes it interesting. It's fun to watch. Yeah, you know what? To be honest, I did not know how, to, how a faucet worked exactly. I know that I it's not I... like... I knew it's not what these kids thought, which was a rain cloud appears inside the faucet, or... Well, well like, you know how, like, in, in, like, the 1800s, or today, in less developed countries, they, they just go to, like, a well, and they just, like, lower a bucket, and they bring that up? Mm-hmm. I thought a faucet was just, like, a miniature version of that happening inside of this there. Just over and over and over? Yeah, just a, a large amount of tiny buckets. Lots of tiny buckets, yeah. Like thimbles. <laughs> Um, but we don't need to explain how a faucet works to you. That's not the point of the show. Um, sure. We're back to two again. Uh, Grover's final attempt at two. It's a visual this time. He's got a big number two sign. Um, I thought the payoff with this one was weird. He just gets crushed with the two. Or not crushed. He kind of like... It, it gets dropped on him. S- smashes over him. Yeah, that's the verb. Um which I guess is fine. Grover's fun. So is Kermit. Yeah, it's, like, he has like a visual. He's like, oh, I need a, I need a visual. So he brings like a giant too. And then they, they still find a way to just turn it back on him and just just, just push it on him. But like the, the carrier, the, uh, excuse me, the character carries it through because right at the end, his final line is just, he just looks at the camera and he's... It's like, you ever have one of those days? Uh, after that, uh, ride a bike... This song, this is a this is a complex song. This was a good song. Yeah, this was like this isn't a children's song. This is something that someone wrote, and like this is a composition. It was it was like kind of proto rap at times. Yeah, um, it's very catchy. I encourage you all to to check this out if you if you're not um, if this if none of these skits that we've described to you so far on this podcast have piqued your interest, I want you to go find Ride a Bike on YouTube. Or, or listen to it because it's it's awesome. I love it. Makes me want to go get a bike. It does. Um, next is Ernie. Uh, he's he walks by a newspaper vendor who's uh, shouting extra extra. Uh, four people fooled or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he buys a paper because he wants to know. He wants to know. He wants to be up to date. He wants to catch up on the headlines. Um, but. The no one in the paper. There's no. There's no story about four people being fooled. But then the paper boy shouts extra, extra. Five people fooled. Gotcha, Ernie. 
That was that was good. I liked it. Yeah, he was nice. He was fast, which was good. Um, then, oh, then, oh, oh, this was awesome. I love. This is my favorite. One of my favorite animations. This is Pinball Count uh, for number two. Um, the pinball song is also my favorite. <laughs> it, it's so like funky and like something that could only be made back then, but it's so it's so catchy. Like I can't. Whenever I count twelve numbers. This is the tune that I sing them to. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps it's it's great for like memorizing twelve digit things. Yeah. As long as they're all the same syllables. As long as yeah, they're all in order from one to twelve, and that's what you need to memorize. Yeah. <laughs> um and Do you think how do you, how did that how did that song originate? Did they do you think they tried to get like the Who song, but then like they couldn't <laughs> secure the rights? It was too expensive, so like, oh yeah, we'll make our own pinball wizard. Almost, I can almost guarantee that at some point in Sesame Street's history, they've done like a. I want to see a Tommy parody, <laughs> like the full story with Muppets. <laughs> oh my god! A deaf, dumb, and blind Muppet, and then you can learn <laughs> sign language. <coughs> that would be really good. Um, let's see. Uh, Baby Rocky, another another. This this was three incredible music numbers in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, baby Rocky is a little baby Muppet that that cries and cries. And yeah, it is, didn't start out as a musical number. Yeah, it, it just starts out just this kind of innocuous thing. Is it, it was you don't really get a good look at the baby Muppet, so it was kind of kind of creepy looking uh, at first because it's just kind of this weird Muppet face in a crib. Yeah. Uh, but the pair, the the mom and older sister come in and they're like, "Oh, you cry all the time. Why do you cry all the time?" Mm-hmm. And then, when everyone's gone, when mommy and sister are off to sleep, baby comes out to play. He becomes a rock star. Yeah, fucking. He, he's good. He really wails, man. Like it, it's very, like the lights go down. There's like a spotlight, and he just goes. He it, it, it's it's. It was very entertaining. I didn't see it coming. And again, it's on this theme of expression because that's how a baby expresses itself. Yeah. It, it can't talk yet, but it's it still it, it tries its darkness. I think this this precise theme, this little theme within our our larger theme, is something I really enjoy. Is this kind of giving a voice to like a voice and a reason and a motivation to things that you don't normally like illustrate, like a baby. Like this is a baby singing about why it cries. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really strong idea that Sesame Street has been really good at at exploiting. Also, also like you gotta look at their demographic. The people who are watching this. There's a lot of children who might have younger siblings, and they might get annoyed with them. And this is teaching them to have some sort of empathy with them. Like he, he can't talk. He would if he could, but yeah. he, he, until he learns, he he just has to cry. And it's it's a very inspired piece. Yeah. Uh. The two train was after this. That was a, good. a little less substance, but still, still a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chugging of a train sounds like two. That's about all you need to know. Um, then we get to the namesake of this episode. No, no, that's not true. There oh. was a man with a basketball. Oh, you're stairs. right. I did not. I skipped right over it. How could I? Very important. <laughs> That was, that was one of my favorites, I think, of this episode. Really? The man with the basketball, he went upstairs and he was like, up. And he dropped it and he was like, down. And I liked it at the end how he, he like, was like fast going up it and like zigzags. 
Is it weird that I really enjoy when, like, a basketball or something bounces down a bunch of stairs? Yes. I really enjoy watching that. Like, that's something that, like... Because normally when that happens to you, it's, it's like, game over. Mm-hmm. But getting to see it happen and it's, like, not not a deal for you, I was very, I don't know, it was, like, cathartic. Uh, it creates this whole new game of bring the basketball back up the stairs. Yeah. All right, then... Then the namesake of this episode... Woof Woof is this sort of giant Big Bird Snuffleupagus style Muppet. Um, we, I, I'm still confused as to the anatomy of this thing. Yeah, I don't know how they made that happen. I don't know if it, it's like two little people inside this thing or if it's one guy on all fours. Or one dog in a Muppet costume. Or a dog in a Muppet costume. Oh shit, is a dog in a Muppet costume? Can they do that? <laughs> It was, it was very it did have very dog like movements, but I don't think a dog would be that willing to subject itself to becoming a Muppet. <laughs> I think it'd like chew off the costume. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, but uh, Woof Woof, we've decided uh, Gordon has decided needs a new name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs to be named Barkley instead. Yeah. So we've so he rounds up um, all the residents of Sesame Street to take a vote because there's a strong opposition to renaming him. Um, and it's a, it's split. It's a, it's a nine to nine tie. You know, you've got Gordon and some kids and, and his wife over on one side and they've got Bob and Mr. Hooper on the other. So has Barkley always been this common name? Cause I don't, I only know a Barkley from like Charles Barkley. I, I I honestly thought I don't know much, but I thought like this this probably would have been close to like Charles Barkley's like. He was A-day. fifteen at the time of this. Oh shit! Uh, see now I was expecting like, oh look it's our good friend Charles Barkley, and then he like shows up. <laughs> and then he he shows how to actually spin a basketball and not drop it down the stairs. Yeah. That um, would have been a good transition into that bit. Ah, you're right. I'm excited to get into like later seasons of, of Sesame Street because I want to know if they they keep if they like reference old stuff for like people in the, in the know because I know they've like redone Pinball Count like they've done some new animations for that. Like no one's seen every episode though, right? Right. Like at any given point in Sesame Street's incarnation, there are people who haven't been around the whole time. Do you think anyone? Do you think any literal one person has seen every episode? Cause like there epi- be you, man. <laughs> it, God, I hope so. <laughs> that would be an exclusive club that I am okay with being in. Um, but uh, he does get renamed Barkley because Barkley himself makes the final choice, which I thought was weird. It was not a very satisfying payoff to they just decide it by like calling his name to one side or the other. Uh, which is... how, again is what the dog chooses to be. Oh, you know, you're right. That's what he identifies as. Yeah. It's a better name. I agree. Barkley. Mm-hmm. So does he. Uh, Warthogs was next. Another animal footage scene narrated by Oscar the Grouch, who's a fond of Warthogs. Um, I don't know. Not much to this one. Uh, they kind of just do the thing. It's short, which is good. In in earlier ep- in earlier episodes, this probably would have gone on too long. But new modern post episode one thousand Sesame Street knows when to cut it off. Knows when they've had too much. Also, the way they edited it together, it was sort of 
it wasn't like a complete narrative, but there's definitely something going on in the Warthogs' heads that made it seem like there was like these three Warthogs, two of them were playing, one of them got left behind in the end. Yeah. It was nice. Um, after that, we had an extended scene of the sort of Charlie Chaplin knockoff impersonator doing a, a mime scene. This sort of where, you know, it's, it's like a mirror, they're mirroring each other. Yeah, that was... I didn't, I didn't even realize it wasn't a real mirror until like halfway through. <laughs> they were very skillful. I'll give them yeah. that. Until, until they started doing fancier stuff towards the end. Yeah. You then at that point, see. it was like, it, it, it worked. Yeah, at that point, they've built up enough, like, you're impressed enough with them that they're pulling off this um, this more advanced technique. You kind of give them, you cut, you cut them some slack. Yeah. Uh, then we move on to a girl buttoning her jacket. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was nice. I always feel bad because, like, I I can't say anything bad about this because it's so short. <laughs> like, I can't say like it wasted my time or like it's not worth it because it's like ten seconds long. That said, I don't think there was much to it. Yeah. Our discussion of it was longer than... <laughs> she does a fun little move at the end, which is like, ta-da! Which I'm going to incorporate into my uh, jacket adornment technique. Uh, then we move on to an animation of... Uh, I did not jot down his name. Did you get it? Uh, Jive. Detective Jive, which is... I mean, I think Sesame Street has proved itself um, that it's... They're allowed to use those words. Yeah, they built up enough credibility to where I don't think... Yeah. Uh, they solved the case of the missing wig by finding a guy with dirty hands. That's their conclusive evidence. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little shaky, but the detective seems satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the animation style of this, too. It was, it was different, and I liked it. Yeah. There, a lot of this, there was a lot more style, like, we gave we gave earlier episodes some credit, but I think this, by far, the the variety of styles was something to be applauded in this one. Because mm-hmm. there was that, like, uh, you commented um, on one, there was, like, a colored pencil-looking scene, yeah. very hand-drawn-looking, and then you got, you know, um, the up-up-down guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just lots of good, very aesthetically pleasing uh, so yeah, if if you if you haven't caught on already, we're we're very positive on this episode. And Definitely I think, the best I've I've seen. I think that bodes well for at least the next couple hundred episodes. I think they can keep that momentum up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Russ, I gotta say it was it was a pleasure talking to you this time. Indeed. And how many ways are there to say goodbye? Uh, that's something that you should ask the count about. Because he's going to... No need to. Grouch already... Wait, no. Count us, Grouch. Oh, shit. Fucked it up. Oh, we screwed it up. Okay. Um, there, there, there's like five. Yeah, there's there's at least five that yeah. we know of that exist there on Sesame Street. It's probably like sign language, too. Yeah. Uh, so so thanks for joining me, Russ. It's been a genuine pleasure. You know, you've... Uh, yeah, I, and I mean this in many ways. You sound a lot better uh, this time. Well, I, did, I did get this new microphone. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I got, like this headset. Yeah, you know, I mean, the quality's better, but I'm speaking more towards, like, you know, a lot of times you'd be 
you'd probably go on off some fascist rant at least two or three times an episode. And like I, the, you said that before, but I don't know what you're talking about. You you don't remember like during multiple episodes you would say that I don't know Mr. Gordon's ice cream shop is some sort of fascist regime. That, that's ridiculous. I, I I've been this is exactly the kind of thing I was saying before. You think maybe like just the quality, like muffled it up a bit? No, that doesn't make sense. I don't. Your old microphone was so bad that it was garbling up the meaning of your words to mean fascist. I I couldn't tell you. This is news to me. Well, regardless, stick with this microphone, please, because uh, this was an absolute delight, Russ. Thanks again. Thank you. Uh, uh, please, listener. Uh, there's also I have, I have a blog. Hmm. Uh, I have not been caught yet. Blogspot.com. Definitely and be sure to visit that. Yes. Fuck you, Michael. Blogspot.com. Fuck you, Michael. Blogspot.com. What is this? I mean, it's just some things I've been thinking Forest about. Forrest Gump. Fro- Frozen's number two. Well, it's God, I am so sick of. Oh my fucking God, Frozen's such a good movie. It's so not. Oh my God, fucking Olaf, man. Olaf's just, in like a half hour of that movie. Tops. But he's burning to my 